Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about President Trump. We're going to talk about Ben Affleck, and we're not going to talk about the coronavirus. This is the Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get fine or average podcasts, you can decide that which category you fit in. That's right. You're wearing your, uh, is that your dad hoodie? That, yeah, is this is D my son's D? baseball team. No, it's not a D for dad. Oh. I say D for the dragons, but it's... it's uh, Have you told me this before? I, I think, think I so. Asked I last think so. Time. But it's really comfortable, and it is like, you know... You look it's like got his number on the like back. a blanket next to the fire right now. You look... Are you going to be... Uh, I don't know, man. It's rainy. You know, the time change this weekend, you know. Do you want to know a way to be uh, immune to time change? Yeah, I saw your Facebook post, but I'll... Have I'll a baby. Yes. <laughs> they don't care what time you tell them it is. Yes. At all. It makes no difference to them whatsoever, which I guess is par for the course. You're you're nodding like, yeah, dummy, this is how it is for all parents. That is how it is. <laughs> and and then also, you know, whoever invented the time change certainly was not a pastor. So it's not like, hey, yeah, well, at least you could sleep an extra. I'm like, nope. Can you talk go to, to that? Like, why don't we do it on a Friday night? I don't know. Somebody told me the other day, like, well, it's the start of the week. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it all seems arbitrary to me. It, I don't know the answer arbitrary. to that question. It's, it's a pretty uh, dated practice, too, isn't it? Doesn't literally have something to do with farming and cows. And oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I don't know. Someone was saying that yesterday. I was like, really? OK. Uh, yeah. I think it was instituted like in 1909. I could be wrong there. Go with it. Sound confident. Well, I'm looking at a post that I made. So I'm just sort of I'm citing myself in the hopes that I was accurate whenever I wrote, wrote this. It says, ah, daylight savings time. The practice of adjusting clocks by one hour twice a year in order to make it easier for people in 1909 to tend to their crops. <laughs> so it's obviously being a little sarcastic there. But uh, you survived. I mean, do you guys do any caffeine related hoopla at church? Nope, no, nope, nothing. <laughs> nothing. We're all good. I did see your post overlooking your coffee shop going. This is how I will survive. <laughs> What did I call it? Our Daylight Savings Coping Center, <laughs> a.k.a. the Yellow Box Cafe. Do you guys like see a big change on your, uh, like, the early service is just dead on that day? Or It wasn't dead, but it was certainly light. Yeah. For sure. I don't know if you experienced that or not. I, you know, I, uh, we just have the one service at 10. So I think by then, if you're still struggling to sleep... <laughs> You're, you're, you're probably not the compassionate heart of a pastor. It's probably not, not making that big a difference, you know? It is funny because I, I still feel like I see dozens of people posting reminders to set their clocks. And I'm like, don't our phones automatically do this by now? Yeah, I think it's more about the mindset. Like, you got to go to bed going, all right, I'm going to lose that hour and I'm still getting up, going to church. Well, you know what tends to you know kind of bite me is that the next day then my body isn't ready to go to sleep an hour earlier. Okay. So then I kind of push it. So I was like really diligent Saturday night because I got, you know, I'm preaching the next morning. Mm -hmm. and, and then, and then last night I was like, wee, let's stay <laughs> forever. And now I'm, now I'm tired. I've been tired all day. That's fun. I do like the, uh, I actually like the spring forward time of year though. Like you, you got that I first know. time where it hurts, but I would always I'm take, with you. I would always take sunny later in the day. So no, I'm good. I'm good. Well, hopefully you all are surviving and it's, I mean, it's a couple of days after now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Best of luck. But I did want to talk about, I think that you and I actually maybe texted about this. Maybe we didn't. 
I don't know. There we was probably a, did. There was an interaction with President Trump where he's talking about uh, turning your cheek, which is, as we know, many of us will be familiar, uh, a line, a word from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, what is going on in this particular story here? Yeah, so President Trump participated in Fox News Town Hall the other day, addressing several issues, everything from the coronavirus to the economy to foreign policy. Uh, but it says here two questions from the audience related to the political divide and his inclination to hit back on Twitter and in the media when attacks sparked insightful responses. He said this insult politics. A man in the audience told Trump have become a staple in this political environment. Could there be a way that we can deliver your message without the controversial rhetoric and efforts to reunite the country? Trump answered that the country is far more united than people think. Uh, but hitting back, he said, is a necessary part of his strategy. Hmm. When they hit us, we have to hit back. I feel that. I mean, there's two ways of doing it. Turning your cheek, but I wouldn't be sitting here if I turned my cheek. If I said, okay, just let them keep hitting at me and I won't do it back, uh, then Fox News is not interviewing me right now. They're interviewing somebody else. You turn. You can't turn your cheek. And uh, this got a lot of headlines because, uh, rightfully so, because right as Christians... Uh, Somebody very important to us said, turn the other cheek here. I'm going to I'm going to zig when you're expecting me to zag here a little bit. I actually think he's right. And this is part of the problem. I think he's right that part of his not only his appeal, but the ability to make it in in our political world is the ability to have thick skin and hit back and almost be mean and be very forceful. And this is what makes politics very difficult for people of faith Mm. and engaging in them. And I think gets at a lot of the problems that we're currently seeing. Well, and this is what we're seeing online a little bit. Uh, One person tweeted that he's saying if he allows the media to say whatever they want about him without defending himself, the only narrative is the one they are telling. Uh, Another person said Trump says Jesus's instruction is invalid for him. He's wrong. Uh, Jesus, you have heard it said an eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So you think he's right in saying that simply because of the position then? Like you would, is this something that you would advise someone in your congregation, even if they weren't striving for some sort of position of power? Not at all. Not at all. I'm just having trouble. I think our politics have gotten so divisive and dirty and that, that I... I uh, here I can see I can see the truth in what he's saying of going I couldn't have become president unless I was willing to really hit hard at people sure. and not take attacks and I think it's a terrible way to live your life and an unbiblical way your life and then that gets at the tension that I feel like I think right. if a really uh, maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm wrong about this but I think if coming out of one of you know out of uh, one of our parties was just a person who was like I'm just going to continually turn the other cheek and I'm just going to take it and take it. I don't think they could win the presidency. And that makes me sad because, of course, we get up and we preach it. So we say this is how we are called to live our lives. This is how we have to live our lives. Right. It's also hard. I think part of his appeal to a lot of people, including a lot of Christians out there, was his willingness and his continues to be his willingness to hit hard and hit back and be on the offensive. And I do struggle with that because now we see a lot of uh, Christ followers taking that same posture. And you're like, well, that's not how we're to be. Well, and you mentioned it just a second ago. I actually don't think turning the other cheek is this idea of just taking it. I think that's actually a, a fallacy. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the turning of the other cheek, and we don't really have time to get all, you know into it, but part of what Jesus is speaking to here was being hit with a backhand. 
because of you know certain uh, cultural norms on which hand he would use to strike. And part of what I think he's saying is rather than retraction or retaliation, Jesus is offering this third way that to turn and offer your other cheek is to look the person who struck you in the eye mm-hmm. as a way of like redeclaring your dignity. So it's not just it's not abandoning the the fight entirely, but it is it's also not hitting back. And yep. I do wonder, and we've talked a little bit about some of the stuff that Jerry Falwell Jr. has said about like, hey, I'm not a pastor. I'm a president. I'm yeah. a, I'm a, yeah. I wonder if there are people thinking like, yeah, same things apply here. Sure, as Christ followers, we should live like this. But the position demands this. My only question is. Uh, how far out can you run that logic uh, that we justify behavior like, well, but I wouldn't have gotten here if I didn't actually too far in our culture. <laughs> yeah, right. And that gets really tricky. It you does. know, and I think that there is we do sort of glorify and elevate that like uh, that tenacity is yeah. often the word we'll use. And I wonder if as Christ followers that maybe maybe the expectation is for us to live a little different. I agree. And none of this makes me happy. Like I'm like, this is what's wrong with our political climate and a lot of our other climates. And I think he's kind of right about what, why he won in the first place. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll have a conversation about that passage sometime. Because yeah. I think it's a pretty interesting one, especially in our uh, specific climate right now. Well, coming up next, this article says, yes, Christianity is a religion, not just a relationship. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm and his dad, Hoodie. And you can find us on Facebook. <laughs> so the many com- of you have called it. it here, let me paint the picture oh, for boy. people. Blue sweatshirt, big red D. What a picture you've painted. And everybody thinks this stands for dad. Someone else down the hall was like, the dad sweatshirt. I'm like, no. If, if before this moment, someone were to stop me in the streets and say, Mr., close your eyes. And envision a dad sweatshirt. <laughs> That's what I would envision. So are you saying it looks like something a dad would wear or literally the D stands for dad that I have on this sweatshirt? Yes to both. Yes to both. 100%. So I'll tell you, everybody, the D stands for my son plays on a baseball team called the Dragons. This is the team gear I grabbed from my drawer today. I actually heard that they're changing their name to the dads. That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> dad. <laughs> yes. Just a bunch of guys with like knee-high socks. and all these, oh. The other teams are all nervous. <laughs> We're playing the dads today. <laughs> and the, the uniform is them holding remote control asking where the batteries are just yelling at the kids driving when, the cars too fast when the other team gets a hit we just yell at them <laughs> and they just, how dare you they're calling plays like get off my lawn and they're shaking newspapers at the cat other you have things. described my existence right now <laughs> is that going to be like a dad mantra forever and ever or is that like a, a dated reference to, to dadhood uh I think um, this is not what we're supposed to be talking about. I think it will change a little bit, but I think the general uh, theme, I think, is correct there. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Shake in the newspaper, get off my lawn. You think that's going to be, that's evergreen, as they say in the biz? I think so, because who right now is shaking a newspaper? (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) It's just them shaking their tablets. There's going to be a lot of iPad damage when uh, the next iteration of dad dad see the beauty is is that if you and i do this show for as long as we're planning on which i don't know is another 20 30 years right like uh you just the look of fear that just went across your eyes i'm not confident i'm gonna be alive in 20 to 30 years man but we we will go through this iteration where i've been the dad of teenagers in this and then you Mm. will grow up into that dad of Mm. of you know eight to 15 year old and then we will be able to see what's different that's And then we'll have grandkids, you know, our kids will have kids, we'll go to their weddings. You're casting some pretty compelling vision for the show. I'm speaking it into existence. The the new commercial will be, watch Ian's kids age. (laughs) 
the common good. <laughs> see if we see if we invite one another to our kids' weddings. <laughs> People are like, yeah, I'm turning the radio off. Anywho, have I even given the information? I don't think no, I. No, I jumped in with the dad sweatshirt. <laughs> that's uh, right. That's right. I, I had to stand up for my blue sweatshirt right now. We did, and you did profoundly. Thank well you. done. So Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. Y'all have been great, by the way, in commenting and sharing your own reactions. You can also message us there. So if you have ideas for a segment or an interview or a topic or you want to push back, we do encourage all of that. You can find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And we don't have a lot of time left because of that introduction. But this <laughs> is actually something that I've, I've felt pretty passionate about for a while. I actually can tell you where it began. I'll read the headline. Go for it. Uh, it's from relevantmagazine.com. It says, yes, Christianity is a religion, not just a relationship. So I don't know if you've ever from the pulpit said something like that before. It's not yeah. a religion. It's a relationship, right? That I don't feel like is as trending now as it was mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago. But if you recall, uh, Jefferson Bethke did a spoken word piece. He was, I think he was out of Mars Hill. Okay. Not Michigan, but Seattle. Seattle. And uh, it was, the whole title was... Jesus and the greater than symbol oh, of religion. This. It was this whole, it wasn't quite hip hop, but it was a spoken word thing about, you know, how, how Jesus is better than religion. And I wrote this big, long response to it on my blog that no one read. I just against it or for it, uh, sort not against it, but kind of what this article is sort of presenting like, Hey, Jesus and religion are not incompatible. Mm. So we sort of, I think sometimes said these false dichotomies, like, no, 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 it's not religion. It's just a relationship. And I think this article actually uh, does a pretty good job of unpacking that a little bit. So why don't you get us into it? Yeah, I think the, 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 uh, important questions are raised when the, uh, the author, Bonnie Christian, Christian, maybe Christian, that'd be interesting. Uh, Bonnie, (laughs) that would be interesting. You're right. (laughs) Oh dear. <laughs> Mondays are hard. Mondays yeah, are hard. No kidding. If Christianity isn't a religion, why do we need organized religious meetings? Huh. If I'm praying, reading the Bible, volunteering in my community, listening to listening to sermon podcasts, and maybe even talking about theology with my non Christian friends, why do I need to supplement that with a religious ritual every Sunday? Hmm. Aren't I basically doing all the important parts of church on my own? And so that gets her point is if if it's not a religion, if it's just a relationship, if it's just me and Jesus, why do I need to be together? And so, I don't know, you sound like you've thought this through a little <laughs> bit. Uh, how does she, but also how would you answer that question if someone's like, hey, I could just listen to podcasts at home. Uh, it's just about me and Jesus. You know, I get it. I need other people, but I've got friends in my life. Some of them are Christian, some right. not. How would you talk that through? Well, I think that's a very common posture yep. and one that I probably have even felt myself. If you recall, years ago, Donald Miller had a, yep. a, a blog that went kind of mega viral about just do church at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I got to admit, I found a lot of that appealing. Let me actually walk through how she responds because it. there's a couple of responses here that are so good. And the headline, so the, the, the first heading here is community is essential to Christianity. Uh, she talks about it's true that our faith is fundamentally based in relationship, but it isn't just a me and Jesus thing. We need other people too. And so sort of what you were saying, their community is vital, not simply because we're commanded in the New Testament to keep getting together, though we are. That instruction is there for a good reason, because we aren't made to live our faith out independently. We run awry when there's no community to carry our burdens, amplify our joys, call out our nonsense and increase our self-awareness when our own reflection is obscured. 
She goes on to say, organizing a religion isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. One advantage to the modern day wariness of organized religion is that Christians are more willing to be honest about the flaws of the church. And we've talked about that on the show a number of times. Such humility and self-examination is valuable, but it can also be misused as an illegitimate excuse for avoiding church altogether. Yet we don't have to defend the indefensible in church history or overlook stale and shallow church rituals to embrace the good and needful parts of organized expressions of our faith. And then lastly, what she talks about here is commitment can't be a casual thing. I keep bringing up commitment because showing up for church, even showing up every Sunday, isn't the same as committing to a community. I love that statement. That's really good. When we commit to a congregation, it should be a substantial relationship, something more demanding than signing on to a Christian-themed social club. As members of a local church, we are asking other people to shape our lives and promising to help shape theirs. We are giving a community permission to hold us accountable, to support us when we're hurting, and ask for our help when it's needed. This intensity of commitment is a big part of what makes church so difficult. It's why community is not to be taken lightly and why finding a new church in a new city can be so daunting. It's scary because it asks us to give and receive a lot and to do it in partnership with people who also don't have everything figured out. This is a big reason why I think about skipping church so many Sundays, but it's also an opportunity and why I know skipping is the last thing I should do. So Mm -hmm. I, again, you and I are biased. So cards on the table, Brian and I are both pastors. So maybe we're more inclined to agree with this simply because of our vocation. Mm -hmm. But I'm just curious, how does this hit you if you're entering the mindset of just the average church attender in the United States? Yeah, one of them, that last, I really enjoy her last section there about commitment because uh, I think people, there's this struggle that I've talked to people about where they want to be connected to other people, but that takes time. And so there's, there's a big barrier to get over. And that's why this last sentence is so big. It's a big reason she wrote why I think about skipping church so many Sundays. Uh, because I think most people, they go, well, if I skip, then who will actually notice, right? Who will notice? Right. But the flip side of it is if I keep skipping, nobody notices. I'll never get to the point where people do notice. Right. And so I do think that whole community aspect and the organization, I do think we've set up this dichotomy of religion and relationship and we use the Pharisees and all this stuff. Yeah, that's right. probably not helpful. Yeah. And I think what Jesus would say to the Pharisees is probably empty religion, yeah. right? Or religion yeah. for religion. He sake. never tells them stop being religious. Right. right. I mean, he, he was a devout Jew. So, yeah. I mean, there, there certainly is something to be added maybe to the idea of yeah, empty religion or religion for religion's sake. That yep. can most certainly not only be, empty it can be toxic it can, right. that can be really really harmful but we would love to know what you think this is over on the facebook page the common good radio show what have been your experiences how do you react to the tone and the angle of the article we would love to hear from you because uh that helps us do the show better well coming up next ben affleck has a new uh new movie called the way back and he did an interview with owen mcmanus that was absolutely fascinating we're going to talk about that a little bit coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is air drumming. I am. He loves this tune. Yes. Just, just let this play out for a moment. It's good. <laughs> when, when the uh, Is that a keyboard or what is that coming in? It feels like, uh, do you remember the old Bruce Springsteen Philadelphia song? It I do. It starts that way. Yes. Oh, it kind of does. Yeah. But there's a moment there where you think, like not right now, but earlier where you feel like that's what it is. You see, you're always talking about you're not yeah, musical. I am, man. And you're making, can it, your synapses uh, are firing. If I'm talking about Bruce Springsteen or Bon Jovi, I'm, I'm in. Who do you like more? Oh, boy. Probably Bon Jovi, really? but not by the months. 
But I also love Billy Joel. Like, there's times Billy Joel goes, apparently, I just, just hit me. I only like singers whose names start with B. <laughs> Well, well, John is John Bon Jovi. But he's just called Bon Jovi, right? So Easy, you think people are like, hey, Bon Jovi, you want to get a cup of coffee? <laughs> Probably by this point in his life, you they know. are. <laughs> Probably. Know. Let's get him on the show. Just ask him that question. Oh, my gosh. If we got him on the show. You would be fangirling so hard. What if we got Bon Jovi? <laughs> this is inside baseball. But oh, boy. What if it was Bon Jovi sitting with Tim Tebow and they're right there having a conversation? <laughs> I wouldn't even need to be here for it. No. I'll just let you... Geek out and have him it sign your that Chris Farley Saturday Night Live. Do you remember that one concert you did in Chicago? That yeah, was, awesome. was awesome. <laughs> oh, I miss Chris Farley. All right, so you can find us on Facebook if you want, the Common Good Radio Show, also 1160hope.com slash the common good, and wherever it is, you get fine podcasts. I mentioned this a little earlier. So Ben Affleck, who I think has had a hit or miss career. Correct. Uh, this new film, though, The Way Back, have you seen the trailer? It looks great. It looks phenomenal. Even yep. if you're not like a sports film guy yep. or a basketball guy. The story looks good. I've read a couple of reviews from people that are pretty cynical about movies like this, and they all seem to be saying, ah, it's actually pretty good. That's awesome. But he did an interview with Erwin McManus. Are you an Erwin McManus fan? I, I know of Erwin McManus, okay. but I don't know. I've not listened to a lot of Erwin McManus' stuff. Okay, he's a pastor of Mosaic Church, and uh, I think... I mean, we did a book study when I was an RA at Judson called The Barbarian's Way or something like that. Okay. But I know he's all, like, he was also one of the pastors featured on Preacher Sneakers. And like, it's a pretty, oh, yeah. It's a pretty hip area. So not everyone, I, I think he's, I think he's a good writer. He's a good preacher. Uh, they had an interview with Ben Affleck at their church talking about, uh, the film and some of his own story. And I, I thought this quote was pretty interesting. So this was, uh, this was Ben Affleck talking about, um, some of his faith and some of his struggle with his ex-wife Jennifer Garner and their children mm-hmm. he talks about going to church and he said faith is something I have and it's also something that has been a struggle for me going to church I really find Christian teaching beautiful and moving the hard thing for me when I struggle when I suffer when I see things that are painful I have doubts how is there a God hmm. that allows this to happen I imagine that's a question you've heard a number of times as a pastor and right probably if I'm honest asked myself <laughs> well how do you I, before we get into the actual clip from yep. this interview how do you respond to people when they say things like that not to put you on the spot with the biggest philosophical question in the history of the world uh, i get it i get it i think i'm i want people to know that that is a completely legitimate question that if we're not asking we're probably lying to ourselves Mm. and and then i tend to be one who will go to the brokenness of the world Mm. like that that there is um that there with with sin there is just a brokenness to this world that that yes things are bad and things get out of control and things can be overwhelming uh, and I've said to people that if this were the end of the story, I think that God would have a lot of questions to have to answer. And so yeah. I try to talk in those terms. I, Tim Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through yeah. Pain and Suffering. It's a great book. And everything that you've said, I totally affirm and letting people know, hey, okay, not only yep. is it okay to ask these questions, I think it's encouraged. Mm-hmm. But I do, I always want to try to have something I can point people towards. Good like, idea. hey, this 10 minute, 30 minute, 60 minute conversation is not going to answer all your questions. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Keller has like the heart of a pastor, but also a philosopher. Agreed. And I don't know if I've found a better book on that particular topic. I found it just to be so helpful. Yep. That's not what we're talking about, though. So Ben Affleck, Roman McManus, they had this interview. And um, what he said next and talking about, you know, being a part of a 12 step program and some of his journey with faith, I thought was really interesting. So I want to listen to that and, uh, and then we'll respond. And one of the things that somebody said to me once was like, you, you know, you don't need to ultimately be sure you need to, you need to seek. Can you seek God? 
can you look for God? And then the guy was having this conversation with him, well, I have a hard time believing in God. I don't know. Is God there? Is God not there? Says, Just relax. Can you, <laughs> can, you, can you seek God? Can you look? I was like, okay. Yeah, I can do that. And the more I did that, and the more I allowed it to become something that didn't have to be a final determination or me saying I have the answer or I know it's right, but just a search for, um, for, a, for a higher power, for a higher mission, for a higher meaning, for what was really important in life in the world and for a God, that's, that uh, started to connect me more deeply to faith. Uh, and that faith has served me well in, in recovery as an alcoholic. So, yeah, what did you think of that? I think that's I heard that before, and I think that's mm-hmm. really compelling. And uh, especially someone in the midst of a 12 step program um, that speaks of higher power. I think it's it's encouraging. And then I get a little uneasy when talking about uh, you don't need to have you know a final determination or an answer. Like, I think as Christians, we do hold up Jesus uh, as as separate from all the other answers. Hmm. And, uh, and so I'd love to hear him speak more about that. I don't know where his story has gone from here. If he is a Christ follower or if he's saying, you know, it's enough for me to have a higher power. Uh, and so I do b- agree with him. Like we need to be okay with the journey and seeking God and looking for God and allowing us to not have everything in a box right, at all times. Right. I have it all figured out. Uh, I get a little uneasy with the talk about like there's there's never going to be an answer because I, I want to have that conversation about Jesus. Yeah, I wonder if he's saying the part. I guess he does say uh, not having the answer mm-hmm. or I know what's right. I also think of. Do you ever read uh, Pete Enns' book, The Sin of Certainty? No, but I know of it. It's yeah. a, it's a pretty compelling read. I know for some people that name will be a red flag. On other people, they're leaning in. The Sin of Certainty. For me was was helpful, and I, again, I I don't know that I've ever read a book, and I agreed one hundred percent with everything. So it's one of the problems in our culture that if you bring up someone's right. name, you're like, oh, you're signing on to everything right. that person ever said. Well, you yeah. used a quote from that author, or that yeah. pastor, didn't you know they said this or believe that? And you're like, yeah, but the the quote was good. Speaking of quotes, Anne Lamott, who I've loved for a long time, she said, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but mm-hmm. certainty. Mm-hmm. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. And she, I, she's just a poet, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I'm curious, what encouragement or hope would you give to someone who maybe resonates with what Ben is saying? Like, yeah. I don't actually know exactly where I land or how to even get to a place where I land. Like, what challenge or hope or encouragement would you give to that person? Yeah, and I'm just looking at this article right now in the Christian Post. He apparently... Uh, has talked about his Christian faith that has come out of the Methodist church that he said, I got introduced to Christianity a bit later in life. So adds a little more dynamic to it, but I would say this, I would say go on the journey, Hmm. uh, but don't go on that journey alone. Yeah. Right. Uh, Find people who can help, um, you know, help you process your questions who might, you know, you said earlier in the segment of uh, resources you point people to. Well, uh-huh. maybe there's someone who can start digesting those resources with you. Hey, we're going to read this together. Yes. I would say that it could end up in some ugly spots or some get off the rails if you just do this alone. You're like, I'm just going to be by myself. And so I would say seek God journey, uh, be open and do it with in, in with a friend or a group of friends and make that journey together. And I think part of what's fun about journeying is, um, 
you know, you don't have to worry so much necessarily about like, oh gosh, what if we read a book that we disagree on? Yeah. yeah, that's okay. Like, if you have two people that feel like they're on opposite sides of some sort of theological debate, let one person pick a book, read it together, and then let the other person pick the that's book, and then read that together. Like, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like that's a little bit of what he says at the beginning of the uh, the soundbite. Like, just relax. Like, I think there yeah. is a like what you said, an encouragement to lean in, but don't do it together, and to actually trust the Holy Spirit will move and convict and reveal mm. in the ways that he needs to and to invite that to continually invite ourselves to be open to the correction and leading of the Holy Spirit I think that's something that is so uh, underutilized mm-hmm. at times because mm-hmm. we're, we're so caught up in a sort of like post enlightenment mental certainty that we forget to you know, invite God to actually be a part of that journey with us yeah. well coming up next uh, I want to talk about selective literalism we're going to talk about some ways that we approach the Bible and scripture and some uh, tricky spots that that will sometimes yeah. lead us into that's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. There is where we post all the articles that we reference. You can comment on them. You can send us messages. Also, I recently discovered that you can review us on the Facebook page. Mm. So if you got a spare minute or two, all of that actually does help. We're still sort of a new show, so any exposure there, any sharing of the page or inviting friends or articles, or I don't want to sound beggy, but... It's, there, it served us well is. in the past. Has, has it always, though? <laughs> well, it did get us the name The Laughing Pastor, so that's that pretty true. good. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, I want to talk about this idea of selective literalism. And someone might be thinking, what is that, Pastor Ian? Yes. Well, I'm going to tell you. Selective literalism is the tendency to elevate certain biblical principles over others in order to best accommodate one's personal opinions. Here's how the article begins. We all recognize this when we see it, but it's really more than the above definition states. It's also the deliberate dismissal of biblical texts that are obviously offensive. For example, most Christians do not believe that rebellious children should be stoned to death, Deuteronomy 21.1. But sometimes that literalism can support punishments that most people find extreme. Some self-described biblical literalists support the death penalty as punishment for murder, Genesis 9.6, while they oppose abortion because life is sacred. How many Christians approve of the explicit instructions in Leviticus 20.13, which reads, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Or how about adultery? Leviticus 20.10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Selective literalism has been exploited very successfully by the political parties on both sides. And I think part of what... you're laughing because I edited that part. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I'm adding my own commentary. I really here. enjoyed that. That was well done. <laughs> I just saw in big capitals Republican Party, and I'm like, nah, that's happening yeah. on both sides. Yeah. And it kind of gets into some of the. Um, I mean, you can read the book title here in his book, Thy Kingdom Come, How the Religious Right Distorts yeah. the Faith and Threatens Coming America. Coming from a side here. Right. So yep. there is certainly some. Uh, what's the word? Uh, what's the word that you use when there's too much opinion in the Facebook posts? 
Oh, editorializing. Editorializing. Yes, That's yes. what I'm looking for. <laughs> but in general, that first part of it, though, and I imagine as a pastor, this is something you've run into where people are like, hey, why do we hammer home this idea, but we completely ignore this idea? Like, what experience have you had with this sort of selective literalism? I, yeah, this is a hard one. And, yes, uh, it is. You know, I do think that we... Uh, often do have a tendency to elevate certain biblical principles over others in order to best accommodate. Here's the here's the rub: our own personal opinion. So, right. I think both ends of the political spectrum, but also both ends of the theological spectrum, do this. Well, you know, if we don't believe that, we can't believe any of the Bible. Or, nope, if no, you know, we, we this one is what we're going to hold on to for this reason. Hmm. And I, what I think becomes the answer for me is to realize that the Bible is a complex book that requires or collection of books and stories and genres that requires work uh, and that it doesn't make it any less authoritative and it doesn't make it any less God's word. But sometimes when we're just like, look, that Bible says that you got to be really careful about that. You got to be willing to do the work, to be willing to have the debate, to be willing to uh, do the background. And sometimes people are like, well, you know, if, if I can't just read it and know exactly what it says, then it's not worth itself. Well, no, that's not true. In fact, mm. giving it that more complexity, I think, raises the spectrum. And so um, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head where somebody has said this to me. But yeah, but this selective literalism, I think, permeates a lot of our theological debates where people cherry pick things from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. And you just want to be like, Hey, be careful, right? Because a couple of verses later, Paul says this, or right. the Levitical law says this, right. or whatever. Um, but yet, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and then go, "Well, everything the Bible says can't be trusted." Then, and so it really right. is. It, it's it takes some work. I I read recently someone made some kind of statement like, if you want to find a passage that condones slavery, you can find it. Uh-huh. If you want to find one that permits it. You can find it. If you want to find one that condemns it, you can find it. If you want to find one that denigrates women, you can find it. If you want to find one that elevates women, you can find it. It has a lot to do with your heart and posture going into it, which can, to your point, be really tricky because I have also heard, look, well, if you're calling into question any of this, well, then you have to throw the whole thing out. It also is worth noting, I think, that just because it's in the Bible does not mean that that it has God's stamp of approval. Not Mm. everything in his pages is prescriptive. Some of it's descriptive. Like, Hey, don't do what this guy did. That's (laughs) this did not go well for him. So sometimes even the cherry picking, and I don't think the cherry picking is always nefarious. No, I think sometimes it's like this. I just a favorite verse of mine. You're like, okay, yeah, but the three verses before it and five verses after it actually help frame that. It's kind of what I'm getting at, but I don't like like those verses. (laughs) Those make me uncomfortable. Right. And, and, uh, and I think by and large people, um, don't know them. It's not that they're necessarily proactively Mm -hmm. trying to just sort of cherry pick out of context. It's, it's that, no one has really invited them into the context. Yep. And there's a lot of other things, too, that I think can be lost on us in a modern reading. Um, like I heard somebody saying, if, if you were to preach a sermon and you made some comment in a sermon, you're talking about lust. Maybe you're, yep. you're preaching a you know, men's group and you say, hey, don't, I wouldn't encourage you to buy a Sports Illustrated in February. Yep. Most guys in the room are like, yeah, that's because that's where the, the swimsuit is. But if you just took that transcript Buried it in the ground, and someone found it three thousand years later. I'm like, don't buy Sports Illustrated in February. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> We're as far removed, it's a kid. you know, going forward than we are from much of the, particularly yeah. in the Old Testament. There's going to be things that 
out of context or to our mindset seems so bizarre and yeah. so strange. And I think when we don't bring all of those tools and all those resources into a faithful reading of the text, like you said, it can definitely lead to some tricky places. It's a really good point. And we do that on social media. Like yes, we're that reading right. people stuff in context. We do that right. with other books we read, right? Well, right. Uh, person X said this and you're like, yeah, but that was in the midst of a big discussion about uh-huh. this. And you just pulled that out. Yes. And it's just that much more dangerous when we do it with the Bible, because mm. we go, well, every single word, like you said, is prescriptive, authoritative. And so therefore, when the Levitical law says this, we should. And you're like, no. Uh, because you also wouldn't say that. And so I think this is why going to a place like Wheaton, I like to use Wheaton as, and (laughs) I'm sure you had the same thing at Judson. When you study under these uh, brilliant Bible teachers, Uh I left more challenged by how I viewed the Bible and also more in love with the Bible. Like those happened at the same time. These professors were able to rock my world about how you read the Bible, how the Bible's constructed, uh, this the nuance to it and come out of it going, man, I, I love the Bible more. I want to dig into this. And a lot of times I think what happens is we go, well, if we start digging into the Bible, it's all going to fall apart. All my faith is going right. to fall apart. And so I want to stay at this selective literalism. And I'm saying, no, the Bible's good. It's it's uh, it's God's word. It can handle our questions and well, our good. tearing it apart and this and that. And and come out even even better on the other side. What would you say to the person that is inclined to respond to what you just say, said and say, I don't know that the Bible should be torn apart or picked apart. You're just supposed to read it and do it. I think you've got some problems then going back into the little bit of good law that some of this stuff, like to be really drastic about it, right? Yeah. Like he used the verse about stoning your kids who are right. disobedient or this. Like you've, what do you do? We all already are interpreting that through our lenses and in our context. So to say that we don't do that is just fallacy. Yeah. We're already doing it. Let's just mm. own it and then keep getting better at it. One of the things that I had a professor used to say is uh, we're all looking through lenses, but lenses are things we look through, not at. Mm. So I'm not typically all that aware that I'm wearing glasses, for example, until something fogs it up or they get cracked or yeah. something. Yep. And sometimes I think good faithful reading is sometimes like letting our lenses get fogged up a little bit and realize mm. I'm bringing a very specific worldview and framework into this reading. Yeah. And I, that's why I think it's important to listen to, you know, different kinds of authors and people from Absolutely. different, you know, different walks of life and different parts of the world. And I think all of that, all of that uh, is helpful, but that's up on our Facebook page. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, give us your thoughts, your pushback, even uh, what do you think of this article coming up next day? A Catholic writer writes mental illness and the darkness of Lent. Mm. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. 
Coming up this hour, we're going to talk mental illness and Lent. Also in the studio, Abby Robert, co-founder of the True Justice League, has an event coming up March 13th. You're not going to want to miss it. This is The Common Good. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good, and we have not talked about the coronavirus at nope. all. Nope. We haven't talked about the fact that the number of reported cases has more than doubled since Friday. Mm-hmm. Haven't mentioned that. We haven't talked about the stock market. We haven't talked about the stock market. We haven't talked about that cruise ship, right? And it's still, could you? Uh, okay, now we're gonna talk about. It. Uh, but <laughs> could you imagine being on that cruise ship? Like, no, that's coronavirus, my nightmare. Can, like all of it, notwithstanding, like just <sighs> this, like, gosh, like you're on this cruise ship and you literally have, and maybe this will get resolved in the next couple of days, but you just have no idea what the next step is. I, and you're scared that the coronavirus is about to spread through the ship. I just, Oof. every time I watch things about that cruise ship, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine. And it's just wild. You know, I watched the today show this morning and yeah. literally they're going, you should, I mean, to hear a government employee say, do not take a cruise. Like right. they weren't like mincing their words, right. like, hey, you probably shouldn't or talk to your health care provider. Do it. Right. Just categorically. And so there is a lot oh of like, you, I'm sorry, now I'm talking coronavirus. Yeah, now you really are. I do really struggle with like how much of this is like really legitimate fear. I go with yeah. like to that and how much of this feels really overblown. I go to that and I go back and forth all the time. I'm like, I don't know. Should I be? I don't know how I should even feel. Well, right how now. should we feel, Pastor Brian? I don't know. You like, went there. I don't know how I should feel in terms of like being in public places or, yeah, or doing right. this. I do think that there's good conversations for the church to have here about fear and how huh. do we respond yeah. to when, uh, when our culture is feeling fearful, but literally like, when do you know? And I, I think you start to take, I have a pastor friend in Seattle on Facebook. They canceled their services this week because all the schools canceled in their neighborhoods hmm. because Seattle's kind of one of the epicenters. And so I think as pastors in that, I think it will be interesting in the coming weeks uh, or it's all going to go away. I don't know. You know what I mean? You're like, okay. See, I knew I shouldn't have even brought it up. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad. I literally am like looking at it going, I don't even know how to respond. But it is scary. It is uh, uh, it is worrisome. And just to hear like basketball stadiums going, well, we might end up having no fans. You're like, man, this is crazy. Yeah, that is kind of wild. Uh, Sorry I got us into it. That's all right. Did I mention all the information yet? Nope. Gosh, I feel like I'm forgetting that all kinds of times today. So you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. Let us know what you think about what Brian just said. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe rate review that does help us out a whole lot. And we are so, so, so grateful for all of that and uh we're in the midst of lent i don't know if do you do anything for lent or are you i have i'm gonna feel guilty and say i'm not doing anything this year i absolve you of your guilt brian thank you it's okay this is a safe space i'm giving up guilt for lent (laughs) no apparently not not. i I can see it on your face i don't think you have not doing it well (laughs) what about you well so i'm reading a devotional right now by walter brueggemann that has been uh just phenomenal and i've done various different things in the past and we you know, uh, my uh, we started an organization called Beauty in the Common, mm-hmm. and we've created different devotionals and different photo challenges there as well. And so, we, yeah, I, it's not been consistent, but mm-hmm. I, I do try to do something. Like for me, just carving out some kind of intentionality yep. during the season of Lent. But I thought that this was an interesting article over at Pathios written by uh, a Catholic guest writer. And it says, Mental Illness and the Darkness of Lent. Do you think I should just read it? I do. I do. Because it's short and it's good. 
I already see a word I'm not sure how to pronounce. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with you. Sagacity. Honey, S A G A C I T Y. Blow through it. Why am I, I'm going to look it up on the computer real quick. What do, you, what do you think of that? It makes for good radio. Does it? Hold on. Just fill some time while I'm finding it here. <laughs> and I'm going to play it just to make sure. Sagacity. Oh, I you was, nailed it. I was right. Did you guys hear that? Hold on real quick. Sagacity. Yeah. So that's my win for the day. There you go. I got that one right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, PJ. Um, I haven't. There might be other words. You, we'll just see what I'll, happens. I'll stay with that. you. We'll do this together. I appreciate that. Thanks. That feels like my reading buddy. <laughs> Hopefully get a personal pan pizza at the end of this. Um, all right. So this guest writer writes at the beginning. It says, um, as someone with depression and anxiety, it's always with mixed emotions that I approach Lent. And this because the experience of darkness and desert and mourning are in some ways close to me all year round. Mm. Yes, in one sense, Lent, Lent can be a blessing, since it is when Christ and the whole church suddenly join me amidst the darkness and solidarity. But in other ways, I can become a little annoyed and envious. In my more sour moods, it can seem like Lent is the time of year when all the privileged people get to do a little penitential cosplay, give up a few minor things, and come out reborn and happy on the other side. Happiness for such people is often easily paused at the beginning of Lent and easily resumed afterward. It feels a bit unfair to us sufferers that the terrifying landscape we inhabit, the one where we can't remember the beginning of and can't see the end of, suddenly becomes a playground for ever so many acts of spiritual romanticism. The desert gets crowded, and those of us who have been here a while watch the antics and quietly wait for the crowds to go away. Mm. We know the desert, or perhaps to put it better, we know we don't know. What I mean by this, at least in reference to myself, is that it's not as as if I'm a good uh, I'm good at the desert. It's not as if I've discovered quote the trick to living here or achieved incredible sagacity. If you try to master the desert, it will master you. And if you try to master master it in any case, you've missed the point. The point of the desert experience is not to master, but to survive intact as a whole person without giving into the temptation. It's a deadly dog eat dog place. Can you survive it without it turning you into something bitter, dry, and twisted too? Perhaps only by a miracle. I realize that some will say I'm missing the point. Shouldn't Lenten spirituality be something more healthy, perhaps directed toward prayer or fasting and almsgiving? Well, yes. And I don't deny the importance of these practices, but there's still an ambiguous shadow side to the Lent as well, a side that is dark and dangerous and sometimes fatal. Christ met Satan in the desert. Many of the Israelites died in the wilderness. And to those who say the darkness of depression and anxiety are not the same darkness as that with which we enter Lent, well, darkness doesn't come with a label. Sure, in retrospect, it is easy to categorize and label, tracing with so many names what kind of darkness we have come through after the fact. But part of the terror of darkness in the moment is that it is dark. If it gave us certainty what it is about, it wouldn't, properly speaking, be darkness. Can depression and anxiety, provided we aren't merely refusing health care and self-care as a twisted form of spiritual masochism, be a part of our proper desert experience during Lent? I don't see why not. All this being said, I want to conclude this reflection with hope rather than despair. First, Christ is with us regardless of the feeling of his nearness or absence. As a desert dweller, I take much comfort in that. Second, I wonder if part of the point of Lent is that those surviving in the desert and those who are merely Lenten visitors should talk and swap stories. 
Maybe there is something a casual pilgrim in the land of suffering can learn from a desert dweller, though, come to think of it, everybody suffers, and maybe there are no casual participants after all. Conversely, maybe long-time desert dwellers can learn something of hope from those who have touched it more recently or more thoroughly than they. And so this is Lent. I'm listening. I just thought that was really good. A, a powerful perspective and, an, and a really honest one. And I think that has impact, even if you're not a Lent person and you don't consider yourself someone who struggles with mental illness. I'm just curious, hearing it read, how, how did that hit you? That's really powerful because um, that imagery of uh, this guy saying, you know what, due to mental illness and depression, I'm in the desert all the time. Right. And that it's almost like to see other people kind of dabbling in it is hard for him. Right. But yet he also sees the value in it. I think there's a great reminder here. Uh, whether you're somebody who practices Lent or not or observes Lent or not, uh, I think there's a wonderful reminder here that um, that there are people that surround us who are in the desert yeah, right. and who are really struggling and that that's their day-to-day-to-day um, um, reality. Yeah, right. And I think specifically around Lent, I think this is a powerful reminder that, you know, to just kind of go, oh, I'm going to take something away from myself and it's going to be hard. Uh, just be careful with flippancy. Yeah. And also the conversation. I think he makes a great point about uh, people on both sides of this being able to talk and being able to share and, and grow in that way. Well, my hat's off to you, Carl Person, who is an assistant professor of literature at Our Lady Seat of Wisdom College in Barry's Bay, Ontario in Canada. I think this was both remarkably challenging, but also timely. Yeah. And for anyone listening that this describes your experience, uh, I want to encourage you to find a trusted friend, uh, an expert, a counselor, somebody to walk alongside you in this difficulty, because like he described, I think so beautifully, the, the desert is brutal. And for those of us who maybe haven't experienced what long term space in the desert feels like, um, we just want you to know that we see you and we hear Absolutely. you. And uh, I think it's really, really worth journeying with somebody else. Well, coming up next. So I am really excited about this guest. Abby Robert, who is a junior at Naperville Christian Academy, is also the president of True Justice League. They have a uh, an event coming up Friday, March 13th at New Covenant Church called Breaking the Chains of Human Trafficking. Mm. This girl's story is Remarkable! You're not going to miss it. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus wherever it is you get podcasts. If you are a podcaster, thank you so much for listening. A little rate, review, and subscription does actually help us out somehow, magically, I'm told. I'm not really sure how or why, but absolutely thrilled to have in the studio Abby Robert. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here today and giving me the opportunity to share what I am passionate about. Well, I love that segue because mm-hmm. I would love for people to know what it is you're passionate about. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do? Sure. I'm 17 years old and I'm a junior at Naperville Christian Academy. I have lived in Naperville, Illinois my whole life and I currently attend New Covenant Church. I am very grateful that Pastor Castaldo recommended me Some things that I do in my free time are mentoring kids in my community as Mm. I am a gymnastics coach at at Fort Hill Activity Center in Naperville. I also am a piano teacher and have my own piano studio. I enjoy volunteering at Edward Hospital and it's given me great experience with working with people and different people who are going through all sorts of different situations. And 
I'm also president of my student council, as <laughs> I love to plan projects and improve wow. the student body. And so, yes, I do a lot of things, <laughs> and I love to learn and get to know other people, and that's really what drives everything that I do. But wow. I would have to say that the thing that God has placed on my heart this past year specifically is restorative justice. Mm. And so that is what I'm going to be talking yeah. about today and this un- other extracurricular, but what I'm really <laughs> passionate about and what God's place in my heart is this True Justice League organization, which is a group of young individuals dedicated to achieving freedom for the enslaved and mm. establishing justice for the oppressed with faith at the forefront. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so we were joking off air at 17. I wasn't doing these things and, uh, and you're not doing them now. Nope. Not now. I'm still trying to get there. Uh, would you say, uh, tell us the story as to, I mean, most people are sitting there going, wow, 17 year olds who started an organization with other people. Talk to us about how you got to that point. Where does this passion come from? And uh, all the way to the point of starting an organization like this. Absolutely. I'd love to share the story of True Justice League. I have to credit I have to credit it to my Old Testament interpretation hmm. teacher in my sophomore year, Mr. Harrison. We <laughs> were reading through the book of Amos hmm. specifically and we were required to write a prophetic sermon. And Hannah Tompkins and I, the co founders of True Justice League, we were reading through Amos hmm. and Amos 5 specifically, and it talks about how God was getting angry, right, righteous anger with yeah. these people who were casting out people outside of the gate, taking bribes, trampling over the innocent, and he is pleading his people to hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts, and he goes as too far to say, I hate I despise your religious festivals. Hmm. Your assemblies are a stench to me. And it just it just was so powerful. And it touched. Hmm. It reached the inner corners of Hannah and I's hearts. And we realized this is where God's heart is. Hmm. And we can go to Naperville Christian Academy and read the scripture. We can go to church. We can do all of these things. We can make these burnt offerings. Hmm. But if we aren't obeying God and doing what he commands us to, Achieving, fighting for justice yeah. for trampled and oppressed people, then what are we really doing? Mm. So True Justice League is not a nonprofit. What we do is we simply bring the community together and we fight for issues that the Bible stands against, mm. specifically human trafficking. And so that's what we do and that's what inspired us. And as a 17-year-old, it's true <laughs> that my eyes have been opened to a lot of scary things, a mm. lot of scary statistics. It's it's a lot to handle doing a lot of adult things. Yeah. Um, but I will say that even within the darkness, even when you read through the prophetic books and you hear about all the justice or God condemning all of the sin and you just feel so overwhelmed mm-hmm. that there's so much brokenness in this world, it has been beautiful and it's been amazing to see God's light shining through the darkness, even in such an awful, horrible topic like human trafficking, yeah. sex trafficking. And it's been amazing to see God's Holy Spirit working through people and what they're doing and his compassion mm-hmm. transforming lives, yeah. even amidst 
everything that's going on. That's incredible. And I want to commend you, too, for reading the prophetic books, because I feel like a lot of people shy away from for sure. the Old Testament in general, because it's for some people it's confusing and it's overwhelming. And I, you know, I know a lot of people who've had similar experiences where you read these prophetic words and you think, oh, I need to be doing something different. And with all of your skills and talents, I mean, you mentioned a few of them at the beginning. You, you have incredible passion, incredible drive, but you're also... It seems like you're just gifted to to lead and to serve. Why why this issue specifically? How did this cut through all the other things that you're good at? I'm sure people are giving you accolades for. How did this sort of, in your mind, bubble to the to the top of everything else? Isaiah 61 talks about when Isaiah talks about the spirit of God is upon me. I'm going to set the captives free. Mm-hmm. Right. Restoration 61, which I'll hopefully talk about later, their organization was founded off this passage because it's really beautiful. It paints this picture of a restored city Hmm. with free people. And I was praying, we were praying, Hannah and I, that God would open doors for us and show us Hmm. what do you want us to do. Hmm. And it was amazing to see that there were so many doors that were opened, but they were all having to do with ending human trafficking. Hmm. And so we took that as, okay, God, <laughs> we understand. And yeah. We're going to follow wherever you lead us. So it's honestly the Holy Spirit working through us, and that's the real reason as to mm. why we were drawn to this topic. Hannah and I would never have done it on our own. Yeah, I love that. So you've got an event coming up that we want to talk about Friday, uh, March 13th. Uh, at New Covenant Church. Could you tell us a little bit about that event? Who are you hoping will be there? What will they experience on that night? Yes. So breaking the chains of human trafficking, the whole reason why we're having this event was because we actually had another event this last year. It was a refugee runway event. It was a fundraiser. It was amazing. Um, But what it taught me was that Yes, there are real people who pursue injustice in this world. Yes, there are people who genuinely do not care or give Mm -hmm. time to Mm. look at these issues and learn about these issues. But there are a lot of really great people, and I believe that that's the majority. But including myself, I I would put myself in this category. They are just ignorant or preoccupied. Mm. They really do care. They're just ignorant and they they don't know that they care Hmm. and i that's why i believe that ignorance is the greatest instrument of injustice and martin luther king once said nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance Hmm. or Hmm. conscientious stupidity (laughs) and i strongly agree with him so there's many there are many people who believe that all they have to do is throw money at a charity to solve the issue or there are many who there are many who believe that they are helping and they could be helping more effectively or they simply do not know that human trafficking exists right. in Naperville, let right. alone the land of the free and the home of the brave. Right. This is modern slavery. Like, how could this happen in America? Slavery ended so long ago. So what this event seeks to do is to inform people on the Hmm. issue. Hmm. So we have nonprofits, Restoration 61 and Inc. 180. Hmm. Um, Noel Viard is the director of communications for Restoration 61, and it's been great working with them. So she's going to give a presentation Hmm. on 
what is human trafficking, what does it look like in Naperville, what are ways people can be aware of it, defining the terminology, different human trafficking terminology and such. And then there's going to be a panel discussion with Mm. the human trafficking survivor, Mm. Kara Doan, who is the co-founder of Restoration 61, as well as Chris Baker, who is the founder of the nonprofit ministry portion of Inc. 180. And so they're going to be talking about ways people can get involved. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from them and learning along with our audience. That's outstanding. We're going to talk a little bit more about that coming up next. Just a reminder, that event is March 13th at 7 p.m. at New Covenant Church. You can go to the website, newcovenantnaperville.org. You can also learn more about True Justice League on Instagram at True Justice League. I realize some people are going to have to Google how to spell the word league. Or how to get on Instagram. Or how to get on Instagram. Yeah, Google how to find Instagram. But at True Justice League. And you've been listening to Abby Robert, co-founder of the True Justice League. So stick around in the studio for one more segment. We're going to learn a little bit more about your heart. Maybe some of what the prophetic tradition has meant to you and how people can get involved. So that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, and that's where we post all of our articles and interviews. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk, plus wherever it is you get your podcast. If you uh, rate, subscribe, and review, that all does help us out somehow. But we have really loved having Abby Robert in the studio. She is the co-founder of the True Justice League. And they're also hosting an event Friday, March 13th, 7 p.m. at New Covenant Church. You can go to newcovenantnaperville.org. You can learn more about True Justice League on Instagram at True Justice League. And you've been sharing a bit about your heart for human trafficking. It began very interestingly reading the book of Amos, which is a, a difficult book. I remember a couple years ago, we did a series through the minor prophets at our church and people ask me to stop halfway through like this is it's just intense but you were talking about this a little bit earlier and i remember going to an event a few years ago they were talking about some of the human trafficking statistics here in the western Mm -hmm. suburbs and it was the first time i was hearing these these numbers because i imagine some people listening will think well yeah human human trafficking is an issue like overseas like not here Mm -hmm. in naperville not Mm -hmm. here in west chicago not here in downers grove and what you're finding is actually quite the opposite that it it really is an issue right here in our own backyard can you share with me a little bit more about that yes there are currently sixteen thousand to twenty five thousand individuals being sex trafficked in the chicagoland area alone Wow, wow and that is just an estimation it is very underground so that right is a very low number I, what different people will say is that there's probably way more. We just have, we have been, we really have no idea because it's so underground, but we assume Hmm. there's more. 12 to 14 years old is the average age a girl enters the sex trade in the United States. 62% of those being trafficked are well under the age of 18 when Mm. they became a victim of their trafficker. Seven years is the average life expectancy once an individual enters the sex industry wow. with homicide and AIDS being the top killers. Wow. Um, if we're talking on a global scale, which America is a part of yeah. and Naperville is a part of, sex trafficking overall is a $32 billion industry. Wow. It is the world's second largest organized crime, only behind the drug trade. And it is the fastest growing criminal criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. Wow. So 
Naperville is not excused from these <laughs> statistics. Restoration 61, a emergency housing facility for trafficked women over the age of 18, they receive se- up to 70 women a month. They have reached that number. They sometimes reach their capacity, hmm. and it fluctuates. Hmm. But in Naperville alone, that is alarming. Yeah. And people do not know that even at the mall, when you send your teenage daughters to walk around, there are actual predators there who are observing, and hmm. they prey on the vulnerable, hmm. even in Naperville. And it's not very safe. They'll look hmm. at They'll look at the girls and they'll look and see who looks the most vulnerable. Hmm. Who can I attach myself to? And it's not what people think. It's not somebody coming up in a white mit, white van and <laughs> kidnapping right. somebody. It's not like you can't let your kids walk the street by themselves right. or whatever you think you're protecting your kids from. It's A lot of it's online. Hmm. A lot of it is in-person interaction, a girl thinking that a guy is trustworthy when really he's trying to get her to feel insecure Mm. to the point where she has no other option but to run away with him. Mm. Or a lot of girls are running away from their homes, having experienced domestic violence. There's a lot of different issues that are so hidden in a whitewashed city like Naperville that we are just so unaware of and where even girls growing up in Naperville are unaware of it as well. Hmm. So how do we educate people on the issue? How do young girls stay aware of those predators? How do we know who is being trafficked? Because some people experience so much violence and they go through so much that they are so ashamed and they cannot reach out. You'd think that if they're in a public setting, they'd say, can someone please help me? But that's not how it works. So mm-hmm. we are the ones who need to be aware wow. of the issue. Wow. Mm. So um, what would the word of advice that you would give to parents out there? So I've got uh, I have a 16-year-old daughter and I have a 10-year-old daughter. And these kind of statistics are really scary. Uh, as you've done research and you've met with these great organizations and you've kind of dove into this subject, what is one or two pieces of advice you'd give to parents out there who may not even really realize this is an issue? Social media is a great segue for a predator to get to know your daughters. It's very common for girls to just add somebody to their Instagram account or Snapchat account and say, oh, this person can follow me. But it can get to the point where the person's messaging your daughter and she thinks she knows him right? or she thinks he's trustworthy and Mm. he says, hey, let's go hang out. Bad situation. They can't be isolated Um, and also another thing is if they're ever walking at the mall, let's take the scenario and they are approached by a guy and he will, if he says, Hey, beautiful, what's your name? The girl that looks down first is the girl that he is going to pursue. So teaching your daughter self-confidence and self-awareness and having them say, I'm not insecure about myself. I don't need to feel I don't need to have my identity placed in Hmm. somebody else. Having a very strong identity is very important for young Hmm. girls. And also to be aware of their friends as well, because your daughters may not be as vulnerable or susceptible Hmm. to human trafficking, but they may have friends that are. So teaching your daughters to make wise decisions around their friends, 
or also encouraging their friends to make the same wise decisions goes mm. a long way. Mm. Wow. Abby, I got to say, I'm, I'm so inspired Absolutely. by you and your story. And Brian had mentioned earlier, at 17, I could barely tie my shoes, <laughs> let, let alone start an organization. And my guess is there'll, there'll be people listening that are also feeling inspired. I'm wondering what word of hope or encouragement or challenge would you give? Because you're a junior in high school, and I'm sure you had to face at some degree, some level of someone saying or implying like, like you, why don't you just focus on school? You're, you know, you're, you're, uh, you can do big things when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40. And I think that sometimes we don't pour into our platform, our students the way that we should. What word of hope or encouragement would you give to a, a another high school, a high schooler who's listening right now thinking, man, I want to change the world. I want to start something. Yeah. I want to be a part of, you know, making, making real change in the world. What, what would you say to that person? I would say, don't let age stop you. Yeah. If God has placed something on your heart, he will make the means possible for you to say, he will work through you and he will say what he wants to say through you. Hmm. And I would also encourage everybody who is listening that what I'm doing is not anything special. I believe that it is a biblical command. And I'm not saying that you have to start your own organization yeah. or do or necessarily give millions of dollars to a nonprofit mm-hmm. organization. But I will say that Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 are very clear. They say, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Mm-hmm. And that is a biblical command. It is very clear where God's heart is. And I think Christians especially need to prioritize justice, this compassion, bringing about restoration, and that should be their first utmost priority. Yeah. So yes, school's important. It gets yeah. it gets tough. <laughs> Sometimes I have to wake up at four in the morning to finish my math homework, but at the end of the day, this is something that's God leading me to do, and that's why I'm doing it. That's awesome. I love that. It has been such a joy having you on really the show. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Just one more time. The event is... Friday, March 13th at New Covenant Church. It's called Breaking the Chains of Human Trafficking. And a couple of ways you can find out more. You can actually email the church at info at newcovenantnaperville.org. You can go to the website, newcovenantnaperville.org. Your Instagram handle is True Justice League. So it's at True Justice League on Naperville or on Naperville on Instagram. I do this, <laughs> I do this for a living. Uh, what kind of other things can they expect to see on the Instagram page there? You can see a lot of great artwork done by... Hmm. Elia Chamberlain, and it is really powerful. You can find a lot of great scriptural passages that talk about ending human trafficking and achieving justice for the oppressed. I love that so much. Cannot encourage you enough to check out this event March 13th at New Covenant Church. And uh, if you're someone listening and you're feeling sparked or inspired, uh, I would encourage you to reach out to True Justice League on Instagram at True Justice League. Abby Robert, thank you so much for joining thank us you. on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop. 
uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can mean one thing only. It is the end of the show. We are landing the planes, we say, with a little bit of interweb insanity stories that we have not read. Sound effects we have not heard. We go into this with as much terror as you do. Before we do, though, a quick word from my friends over at Thrivent. Thrivent Financial, as many of you now know, is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit serving members for over 100 years. That's actually pretty That's impressive. Crazy. When I think about all the organizations that you know, make it 20, 30, 40 right, years, right. 100 years is kind of nuts. If you've ever wanted to be your own boss, which who hasn't, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their wise with money journey, I want to personally encourage you to make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those you serve at Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can just call 630-598-2128. That's 630-598-2128. And just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. You going to call him? I probably won't call them. I've met with Thriving People before. It's a really great organization. It, it really is. And Brian, is uh, he's speaking from the goodness of his heart. That's very true. All right, let's, uh, let's kick it off. Uh, the first one out of Italy. Spill causes wine to flow through villages' pipes instead of water. Oh, boy. Residents of a small village in Italy had the taps in their houses dispensing red wine instead of water <laughs> due to a fault at a nearby winery. Locals in the village of Setacani... Nice. Uh, in the Modena area, uh, said the taps in their kitchens and bathrooms were dispensing red liquid instead of water, and many quickly identified it from the smell as Lambrusco Grasparosa, a locally produced wine. How does this even happen? Officials at the winery said technicians investigated and discovered a technical fault that had caused wine to leak from a silo into water pipes. The high pressure of the wine leak was enough to displace the water in the pipes, resulting in the spilled alcoholic beverage entering the water supply and the homes of nearby residents. I heard alcohol makes you stupid. No, I doesn't. <laughs> See, I, I really thought it was going to be a water-to-wine Oh, see, missed opportunity. (laughs) All right, Florida, never disappoint. Student mistakes pepper spray for body spray. No. (laughs) No. Oh, that's a rough morning. Uh, Florida middle school student mistakenly released pepper spray after grabbing what he thought was a canister of body spray from another student school district, officials said. The seventh grade student has been issued a civil citation for February 28th incident at Highlands Middle School in Jacksonville that sent, oh gosh, 41 students to hospitals for treatment of minor injuries, Principal Evan Daniels said in a pre-recorded message sent to parents on Thursday. The Florida Times Union reported, thinking it was body spray, the student who took the canister actually sprayed himself as if he were applying a body fragrance product. The gymnasium was evacuated and ultimately 41 students were transported to area hospitals for care. It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it's a formidable scent. A formidable scent. <laughs> Stings the nostrils. In a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. <laughs> We've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works. 
every time. Oh, I think that was a That doesn't make sense. That was a stitch together. He combined it. Well that done, was John. Two different, he was really into that one. Both from Anchorman? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, come on. So you've seen Anchorman. He was the same scene. Many times. Okay, good. Many times. Okay. Uh Indiana. Man unhappy. <laughs> about to tell Anchorman's story. I decided to let it go. Smart. Man unhappy with karaoke song pulls gun in bar. Oh, boy. Police have charged a bar customer with intimidation after they say he pulled out a gun over the song choice of a karaoke, karaoke performer. According to our news gathering partners at News Dispatch, Jason Allen Huff, 34, was being held at the Porter County Jail. Officers went to the bar when callers told dispatchers someone was threatening people with a gun. According to the report, police arrived to find a woman outside a car with a gun saying the man in the car, Huff, was her cousin, uh, a veteran who suffers from PTSD. Police were eventually able to handcuff the man. The office report said Huff was so intoxicated it was difficult to communicate with him. Hey, you, let's fight. Thanks for fighting words. (laughs) I'm bummed that you missed the name of the restaurant, though. You see that? <laughs> Leroy's Hot Stuff. That makes me I'm, uh, yeah, happy yeah, I'm for glad you reason. brought that back. All right, Louisiana driver caught driving with tabs that expired in 1997. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Can we talk about tabs for a second? We don't have time. Uh, police in one Louisiana town say its officers recently managed to catch a driver who was driving on tabs that, well, have expired. Driving on expired tabs may not seem that big a deal, but what makes the story special is that the tabs expired a long time ago. According to police in Slidell, Louisiana, the car's sported a license plate that had tabs denoting an expiration date of September 1997. Officials said that when asked about the expired tabs, the driver replied that they were busy lately and forgot to <laughs> renew the tabs. Well, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> I like that. Uh, you know, we're yeah, busy. Just, we had some things going Since on. 97. Oh, God. Last one's out of Australia. Australian paper prints blank pages to help tackle toilet paper shortage. Oh, hey, What? Let's dive in. Prince blank pages. An Australian newspaper has printed an extra eight pages to be used as toilet paper after coronavirus fears prompted customers to bulk buy supplies, leaving some supermarket shelves bare. Oh, boy. In a bid to tackle the shortage, the NT News provided a practical, if unconventional, solution. (laughs) Australians living in the Northern Territories would have noticed on Thursday that an eight pages in the paper had been left bare, except for watermarks and a... Uh, cut uh, cutout guide edition. Uh, run out of loo paper? The NT News cares. Australians are buying so much toilet paper that some supermarkets have been left with empty shelves. And Kleenex has told customers not to panic. Oh, my God. There's nothing wrong with the bidet, is there? <laughs> God, really? I mean, I don't know that newspaper paper is what I'm going to be wanting to substitute with. I didn't, I didn't want to ask, but I do appreciate that it comes complete with handy cut lines. Oh, okay. <laughs> All of that is weird. Yeah, all those Australians. Story. What a weird note to end on. But uh, well, we expect nothing less, right? Hopefully, uh, you had half as much fun as Brian and I did. Hopefully, you'll join us again tomorrow from four to six p.m. and every weekday here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life.